Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. I'm Charlie Wright and today is March 27, 2015. We're honored to have back with us Eric Leak, Chief Investment Officer for Anchor Capital, headquartered in Aliso Viejo, California. So welcome back, Eric. Thank you. So Eric, uh, give us again uh, your background of you and of Anchor Capital. Sure. Um you know, Anchor Capital, we are, uh, like to think of ourselves as a quantitative research and money management firm. Um, we manage money based on our view that um, risk can be quantified across different time frames, and we'll, we'll get into that. My personal background, gosh, I've been doing this 20-plus uh, years, started in the, uh, in the early 90s, so I was able to see the whole tech bubble do great things and then blow up. Saw uh, commodity explosions and, and runs and saw the housing crisis and the credit crisis. Um, so we've traded through all of that. Um, got my start really on the West Coast. The West Coast, we're blessed with a number of uh, the brain trust for the technical analysis community. Uh, so I was able to study under great folks like John Bollinger, um, Sherman McClellan, and these are names that probably the average investor wouldn't know, but in the investment management community, and especially in the technical analysis space, which is where we are, um, it was great to sit at the feet of those masters and get a good foundation. So. Yeah, Bollinger Bands and McClellan Oscillator, uh, well-known to anybody involved in technical analysis. For our listeners who may not be that versed in uh, technical analysis, uh, how would you define it for them? Sure. Technical analysis is the study of, of price and volume and market action. So fundamental analysis would be uh, looking at individual companies, either their debt or their equity, and investing based on a, a projection of their profitability. There's a number of metrics that someone might use to, to determine whether something is a good value or that they should be invested or not. But you're looking at the individual components that make up a company. Technical analysis uh, takes into consideration more investor behavior. So the reason is kind of this theory that at the end of the day, you can do whatever research you want. We're all influenced by our own views, uh, our, how we approach things. I may see value differently than you may see value. But at the end of the day, the price that the market is willing to pay is the true value. Right? The marketplace is going to dictate I can argue that a stock is worth 50 You can argue that a stock is worth 20 The fact that it just sold for $30, that's the marketplace. So technical analysis uh, weights much more, puts much more value on the price that the, that the community, the marketplace is willing to, to pay. And we evaluate trends and volume and volatility. And we ignore the un underlying fundamentals because the idea is that those fundamentals, those intrinsic values, are in the price. 
Okay, so it's it's charting and various signals that you guys look at. You don't look at profitability, you don't look at earnings, etc. But what is the price doing today in comparison to times in the in the past? Moving averages, MACD, different things like that. Yeah, that's that's correct. And and we take it a few steps further. So technical analysis. Your question: What's technical analysis? Technical analysis is study of of price trends and volume trends, right? Just the data. We take it one step further because you can look at a chart and say, gosh, the price is going up or the price is going down. A quantitative manager like us does research and study to say, what does it mean? What has it meant in the past when markets have behaved this way? Uh, what is how what is it what has been the implication for in rising trends or falling trends? And can we build mathematical risk models to identify periods that the wind is at our back and it's a favorable environment? Uh, or are there warnings and indicators that can show us consistently over time, not just one time, gosh, this worked in the past, this would have protected you in 2008. We don't work that way. We look at investment models that we build that go back for multiple 20, 30, 40 years that show persistently in this type of climate, this is a high-risk environment. In this type of climate, this is a low-risk environment. And that's taking technical analysis to the next level, which would be kind of a quantitative approach. Okay. And so you guys are a third-party asset manager. We are. Okay. You don't provide signals to others to do things. You manage the money. We've done that in the past. In fact, we used to license a lot of our investment risk models to very large institutions. Um, We now uh, manage those assets in-house for those institutions. So we used to be a, a research provider among managing money, but now we are exclusively a pure money management firm. We still continue the research internally, but we don't license out the research anymore. Okay, and you have uh, several different uh, investment models, and the one we're talking about today is the alternative equity strategy model. Tell us about that one. Alternative equity is a tactical, long-short equity strategy that's designed to deliver the benefits of equity investing while reducing a lot of the risk that one would have to typically endure if they just bought and held an index. So we use these quantitative models to be fully invested when our models say that the the climate is positive and to reduce exposure or even in certain circumstances take an inverse exposure and profit from falling markets. That's another part of the conversation we'll probably get into. But at the top level, it's an alternative way to invest in U.S. indexes. And so you're not picking stocks at all? Everything we do is with very broad, very liquid indexes so that we're not stuck with single company risk. You know, we're looking at the macro environment. Um, There are other managers that do a great job of picking individual stocks. We want to be at the macro level. We think there's enough alpha and opportunity just in the way that markets function and work that uh, we stay very, very liquid. We're liquid on a, on a daily basis. And so you are either, so, so let's take the U.S. equities market. You are either in the U.S. equities market through an index, or you're in cash, or you're short the U.S. equity market through uh, an inverse ETF, I presume. Um, I'm going to say yes with a giant asterisk on that. That would be, that's, that's a good place to start. Uh, it's a little, um, that's oversimplifying what we do. That would be a good definition of a pure kind of uh, market timing approach, and that's not what we do. We look at risk across three time frames, and here's why. Um, risk can, can be very high on the short term, but in the midst of a broad bull market 
or conversely, you can be in the midst of a 2007, 2008, 30, 40, 50% market decline. So the broad long-term trend is negative, but you've sold off so much that now on a very short-term time frame, there's a, there's a positive expectancy. The market's going to, to rally. So we don't think it's enough to say that the U.S. equity market is either red light or green light. We're not all in or all out. We use three different uh, time frames, and we measure risk on a macro long-term multi-year basis. We measure risk on an intermediate six- to nine-month basis. And then we look at short-term price dislocation. And all three of those things can move at different times. So we can be short one index and long another. And so we go from being fully long to now hedged to now slightly net short back to long. So it's it's more of exposure management, and it's, it's a little bit more of a, what we would call a scaling approach so that we don't disrupt those long-term trends, especially in taxable accounts. Our models are built to give the, the equity market the benefit of the doubt. We, we believe in U.S. equities. We, we believe in the U.S. consumer. We believe in, in the ingenuity of, of U.S. companies. And so we want to give the, uh, the S&P 500 uh, the benefit of the doubt and stay in, as fully invested as we can. But on a short-term basis, we may hedge down risk by taking a portion of the portfolio and shorting against that S&P so that we don't disrupt our core holdings and create short-term capital gains on an entire portfolio. Okay, and, and I can appreciate that. Eric, hold that right there. Uh, we need to take a short break. We'll be right back. We're talking with Eric Leak, Chief Eric Leak. Chief Investment Officer for Anchor Capital out of Aliso Viejo, California. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, and we'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. All right, back to Charlie and his guest. Thank you, Paul. Welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. We're talking with Eric Leek, Chief Investment Officer for Anchor Capital. So, Eric, you guys manage money. Uh, who are the types of clients that you have? We really have three kind of client asset uh, or client types. We, we manage money for other institutions. So we, we manage a portion of a, a 40 Act mutual fund. We also manage for advisors. So there are advisory firms across the country that will allocate to our strategies to represent the risk management or the alternative portion of their portfolio. They outsource that to us. And then we have a, a private client group where we work exclusively mostly with trusts and very unique risk management um, mandates and situations. The majority of what we do is working with advisors around the country to bring our long, short risk management to their portfolios and their clients. Okay. So let's get back to your investment strategy here. Uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, not always being long the market. 
Right. Okay. And the last uh, five, six years, we've had a bull market. So how have you been able to manage through this bull market? Because most timing-type strategies have str- will struggle through a bull market because it was just easier to just be in the market and, and rise it to the top. That uh, we've done very well. Uh, we've basically kept pace or exceeded um, the index returns uh, in the last couple of years. And the reason is, we talked in the previous segment, our models are designed to give the market the benefit of the doubt and stay as fully invested as we can. Look, it makes our job easier if markets are behaving uh, because in, in a bull market, we will be long uh, an index-based security that is indexed to the S&P 500, like an ETF or an, or an index mutual fund, and we will also be long securities that are mapped to the NASDAQ 100 index. The NASDAQ 100 is, is a little higher volatility. It's more of the growth side of the economy. It's biotech. It's retail. It's technology. S&P 500 are more global companies, you know, dividend payers typically. So when we are invested, fully invested in the U.S. market, we're getting a portion of the growth side through the NASDAQ exposure. We're getting a portion of the more blue chip side, international companies in the S&P. And life is good. And there are are multiple years uh, after a significant decline, like in 2002. Gosh, we were long in 2003 all the way for, for multiple years in that S&P position. And that's been the case off the 2009 bottom. That long-term S&P model has been long and enjoying the ride. Now, we've had short-term windows of volatility where the other side of the portfolio, the NASDAQ side, because it's higher risk, it's higher volatility, we don't have as much of a tolerance there. We're looking at a shorter-term time frame. So shorter-term volatility, a couple of weeks of volatility, and that model will start to make changes. Whereas the S&P side of the portfolio will generally ignore 5 and 7% declines as just, as just kind of noise. So again, we're talking specifically about your alternative equity strategy. How often do you make changes in that strategy? Do you do every couple of days or two or three times a year? And again, that will depend upon the year. But generally speaking, how many uh, trades should one expect to see in that strategy per year? You know what? That is, um, by design, that's market-driven. So let's talk about, uh, since we just finished 2014, that's a great example. 2014 was predominantly uh, an up year. You had pretty nice trends, quantitative easing, the Fed's liquidity program where they're, they're buying bonds and they're providing liquidity to the entire market, not just bonds, but that liquidity went everywhere. So you have this underlying kind of bullish climate, and our, we were fully invested from January 1 all the way through um, about, um, about uh, late September. And all of a sudden, September, October, the market started to get a little weird. And so our, our S&P 500 position, which is 40% of alternative equity, stayed long, stayed fully invested through that entire time frame. But our NASDAQ 100 model started to flash some warning signs. And so in late September, early October, that model actually went short, which means red light, intermediate-term trend is is getting dangerous, and so we're going to actually exploit the downside. And so we will buy securities that go up when that index goes down. The market sold off. October was a pretty bad month for uh, the first 
two weeks of October were pretty pretty bad for the for the market, and we were actually able to generate a positive return during that time frame because we were short the Nasdaq, long the S and P, and then markets bottomed. They got a little strange, started to, to get uh, big up days, big down days, and our short term portion of the portfolio said we're now short term oversold. We got position back long, and we stayed long the rest of the year. So let me tell you, it doesn't always work that great. These models are not designed to be perfect. I can show you uh, battle wounds. I can show you uh, the trades that don't work. But persistently over time, these models exploit the same behavior that investors have been exhibiting since the beginning of time. Investors get too excited and become too greedy in bull markets. They become too fearful and panic and sell at the wrong time. And so our models are taking and taking all the fundamental view where is this stock going? Is the, are they doing the right things with their management team? Are interest rates in the right place? That's all out the window, and it exploits that persistent investment behavior. So a year like 2013, or 2014 is um, we are generally no trades for the entire year. There was some activity in October, one or two trades kind of back and forth on the NASDAQ, and then back long and long through the rest of the year. That's a, that's a great year, and we're actually able to really outperform. Um, but there are other years, like a, um, uh, a 2005 or, um, say, a 2007, where the trends aren't quite as persistent. So you'll have more activity, um, and that's more volatile, more market volatility-driven. As the market is, is trendless, you're going to have more, more activity in the portfolio. So what is the market condition that is most challenging for you? It would not be a bull market. It would not be a bear market. Well, let's. Uh, we've all. We. You and I have done this a long time, right? I mean, I'm 20 plus years. I know that you're more than 20 plus years. Just because we make a lot of money in a bear market doesn't mean it's easy, right? <laughs> the only thing that goes up in a bear market is volatility. So, making money in a bear market is is emotionally taxing, because the definition of a bull market, the characteristic, when you're a quantitative analyst like we are, and you study price action, you study history. The definition of a bull market is not a couple of big, massive 10% days. Bull markets are defined by multiple day after day after day of small gains. Right. And everyone gets excited. No one believes it. Typically, investors are, well, this thing's got to come off. This is, And day after day after day, it's small gains. And you may have a bad headline. You get two or three days of selling, and then it, and then it returns. Bear markets are just the opposite. It would be easy if bear markets acted like bull markets. It would be. If it was just day after day of slow declines, it's the opposite. Bear markets are defined by big moves, four or five hard down days in a row, a big reversal to confuse everyone, and then resume the downtrend. It's noisy. It's emotional. uh, Everyone has an opinion. No one knows exactly what's going on. Um, It's chaos, and that's why these non-emotional mathematical risk models are so important during that time frame because they keep you in the right position and they keep you from getting too emotional and it's a very disciplined approach to managing that risk. Well, it, uh, it, it, it certainly is needed because, again, we've had five to six years here of a bull run since March 2009. And um, 
you know, every decade since 1900 has had at least one bear market that's being down 20% or more, except our current decade. So everybody's kind of waiting for that shoe to drop, and yet the market can continue to rise in the meantime. And so uh, it's very challenging. So tell us... uh, what, in regards to your models, what keeps you awake at night? You know, one of the things we do consistently is we are always testing to see if our models are giving us the same profitability that they have for, you know, for 15 years. Um, and probably the thing that would keep me up at night is waking up one day and that changes. It hasn't changed in 15 years. Um, and I don't think uh, it would take a fundamental change in the way markets work or the way investors think to change it, but certainly anything is possible. I mean, you know, we didn't think we would lose 200-year-old banks uh, in the last credit crisis, and and, and we did. So especially when you have a market where you have now have federal bank, central bank intervention and and changing the rules and uh, now reaching further and further to to keep the party going, um, it's it's definitely – it opens up the opportunity for stranger things to happen. So – there's not really any particular market climates we're concerned about. Um, you know, where, where things get challenging for us is we get boring. Um, you know, there, there's there's too much hedging and not enough long exposure, and the market's going up, and we're just sort of flat and not participating. And investors say, gosh, this is too conservative, and they go somewhere else. Uh, that's that's probably the thing that happens the, the most in terms of, of, of a challenging climate for us. But we're, we're risk managers, and we've, we've, we value – capital protection we value uh managing against the downside we don't believe that the capital we manage for clients is easily replaceable so that's our mandate that's our job our job is to give you the opportunity for growth but to protect that capital um, because we can always find another positive year there will always be another bull year at some point but recovering from those pretty ridiculous 20 30 40 50 percent declines um, it can take can take years, if not a decade, to recover from. And we, that's why we are brought in, and why we are a part of portfolios is to protect against that. And often people never recover from those losses because they don't get back into investments that have the strength to be able to do that. They're, right. they're just too shy after that to do that. Well, bro, the question we always like to ask Eric is, what book on investing would you recommend for our listeners? Gosh, there are so many. Uh, you asked me that on our last time, and, and I, I think you know there's a. It's probably not a very uh, popular thing to say, but there's a there's a. We talked about some of the titans of of technical analysis, and when you go through your chartered market technicians designation with the Market Technicians Association, the MTA, one of the books you need to read as a part of your coursework is a book by Martin Pring called The Psychology of Investing. And he does a great job in that book talking about these very things that our models look to manage against in investor psychology, investor behavior, the mindset of an investor, having the conviction to buy when everyone is is panicking, having the conviction to reduce exposure when markets get to a high risk period, which we'll talk about kind of where we think we are in markets today. Um, in a bit, but I would say Martin Pring's book, Psychology of Investing, would be a great place. Okay, well, thank you. Others have not been recommending that. Of course, I don't think we've had any others that have that MTA certification either. So, well, I'm a, I'm a financial nerd, so uh, <laughs> probably not going to be uh, on the top sellers list. <laughs> okay, so give us your contact information here, Eric. Um, you can get information on our firm at our website, anchor-capital.com. 
And all of our contact info is there. We're right here in, in beautiful Orange County in, in Aliso Viejo, a little suburb next to Laguna Beach. Um, and that's anchor-capital.com. Okay. And anyone who has questions about that or uh, would like any information, they're welcome to send us an email here on Strategic Investor Radio at info at strategicinvestorradio.com and be happy to uh, provide any information uh, you'd like about uh, Eric's uh, firm, Anchor Capital. So, Eric, uh, what final words do you have for our listeners here about Anchor Capital, about the kind of service that you offer, and about investing? Well, I I would just say it it would not be a good conversation about equity investing right now uh, in late March 2015 if we didn't address the current environment and the lack of quantitative easing. I mean, we've talked about the fact that from the 2009 bottom, we've had this spectacular 200% rally. It's been wonderful. We've we've re-energized the animal spirits. The problem is, going forward, where's the gas, where's the fuel to keep the party going? And you mentioned the lack of a bear market in the current, the current decade. Here's the reason. This is the longest period of Federal Reserve intervention in history. We've spent the most money. We've borrowed the capital. Uh, the Federal Reserve now owns about 20% of the total outstanding U.S. debt in terms of Treasury. Um, they've pumped liquidity back into the banks. Banks have used that capital to do stock buybacks, buy back their own securities. We're at a all-time high in New York Stock Exchange net capital margin debt. What that means is investors using margin to get to borrow money to invest in, in securities is at a new all-time high. So I could go on and on and on and on. Um, we are agnostic. We don't need a bull market to make money. So I have no agenda in picking a direction for the market. We allow our models to tell us. And the models are are starting to tell us that we are approaching a very high risk environment. And if you if you do a study on, on the last five years, uh, basically from two thousand ten forward, when the Fed has embarked on their quantitative easing, if you were to just invest on the days where the Fed was providing liquidity to the market, that's 95% of the gains of the S&P for the past five years. So if you were to invest only during the days when the Federal Reserve was not active, you have about a 1% return, 2% return over the past five years. So the Fed's basically been front-running for the market here. I, I, I don't. I wouldn't position it as front running. I would say the, the the Fed has been providing the capital to do the buying, and providing the backstop to do the buying. They've been the ones saying to investors, "You cannot fail, because we will buy whatever. We will support you, and we will provide the capital. If the market's not up today, we'll provide the capital, and we'll keep pushing it and pushing it." The Federal Reserve is on record. That's why, if you look at the volatility. From end of October is when the Fed ended QE3. That was their final QE. Where's volatility from October through today? It's increased dramatically. And the market is basically sideways for the last six and a half months. Yeah. What a coincidence. The Fed stopped their six-year stimulus program at the end of October. So this doesn't mean that there's a bear market starting tomorrow. It doesn't mean that batting down the hatches, we're headed back for a 2007, 2008 credit crisis again. What it does mean is if you are sitting on big gains, if you've, if you've been able to enjoy the ride, now is the time to start thinking about risk management. doesn't mean sell. It means you need to, we feel you need to add managers like us that 
have a strategy for downside protection, it's time to start thinking about what your profit protection is because the worst thing to happen to investors is enjoy this wonderful uh, ride, these incredible gains, and then watch it slowly deteriorate and in hindsight say, gosh, I should have done something. Yeah, should have sold at the top there so and the like. Well, you tell a compelling story here, Eric, so thank you very much for sharing that and best of luck to you and Anchor Capital in moving forward and gathering those assets and uh, helping people to uh, protect those assets that, that have been increasing over time. Thanks for having me. We've been talking with Eric Leak, Chief Investment Officer for Anchor Capital. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. I'm Charlie Wright, and thank you very much for joining us today, and we wish you happy and productive investing. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. Partner Vest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security.